I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi there. Welcome to the latest edition of the podcast. In this episode, we talk to Mr. David Holmes, who was a driving force behind the Rangers' revolution in the mid-80s, which led to revitalisation of the whole of Scottish football. Today's podcast is brought with the help of GemmelsVans.com, who are the Kamarnock's um, van, used van specialists with a massive array of stock. Good family business, good people. Please support them, and I'll link below their, their website. And just a usual call-out to everybody watching, if you're enjoying podcasts please hit the subscribe button and the bell to get notified of when future podcasts come out and if there's any particular podcast that you like please hit the thumbs up and feel free to put some comments in the message box below join the community enjoy the podcast so mr holmes just first of all i need to thank you um for coming in and, and giving me some of your time today i think your story is amazing you certainly changed my life as a, a rangers fan and i'm sure a lot of the people tuning in of the same sort of generation as me will have similar thoughts. So I can't thank you enough for coming in. Um, could we start off just by telling us a wee bit about your life pre-Rangers, just to build up the picture of who Mr Holmes is? Well, it depends where you want to start. You want to start as a 15-year-old apprentice joiner. Well, if we want to touch on that, it'll help build a picture of you. Well, at that time, I was a staunch Falkirk supporter. I always was a Falkirk supporter. Uh, all through my life and I played football for a while and uh, the only team I ever wanted to play for was Falkirk. Uh, so when it came to the crunch about Rangers um, and I was thinking about joining Rangers when I was asked, I went back to these days and I remember I'm staunch Falkirk supporter and I had a brother called Danny. And he was a blue nose, uh, a staunch blue nose. He even got into trouble at one of the five sides because Rangers won the beating Celtic. And, I mean, uh, so these things all happened. And uh, way back when I was at school, my PE teacher was Bobby Brown, the Rangers goalkeeper. So 
you start there uh, and then think about where it ended, and the question I was always asked was, uh, how did an apprentice join a Fibonacci bridge become chairman of Rangers? That's a great story. And uh, maybe throughout what we're talking about, you'll come across some of these things. Yeah. But you can ask the questions. Yeah. Get, but that was... Actually, when I got the job for... Uh, I was a teacher in Falkirk at the time. And I was in the staff room one day and one of my colleagues, the other teacher, said, um, I see your pal has uh, a good job. Uh, on a vacant uh, job vacant place and he, I said my pal he says John Lawrence you know the boy that you don't like the chairman of the Rangers they're looking for a training officer and actually I applied for the job and I got it and I was working for the Lawrence organization but the one thing about that was Rangers never ever came into the office if, if you know what I mean, it was never something. Um, but all my life I've been played with Rangers and Rangers and they finished up as chairman. And for me, that was uh, something in my life I never expected. Yeah. So I'll tell you something. It turned out to be probably one of the most um, exciting passage of time for my family and myself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for us. So you, you went to work for the Lawrence Group as a, as a trainer, and then I take it you had a few promotions before the, the, well, the Rangers Well, what happened was I, <clears throat> I was lucky at the time because um, decimalization was coming in, metrication, standardization. And when I went to the uh, start of the job, I was looking after apprentices, but all these things had to be really trained for. And, I got to know Lawrence then, and he appreciated what I was doing. And um, once we got, and later on in the time, I uh, he asked me to go in and sort out the management in, in the companies, and I did that. And I was a go-to man eventually. And when he bought new companies, um, he bought the companies, and I, you know, he got the he brought the big wheelbarrow and I put the wheels on them and made them work. And when it came to uh, him going to be emigrating to America, uh, he wanted someone to sort out Rangers. So that's how I got it. So how long had you been with the group before that 16, point? 16 years I was with the group. And I was I had moved up onto the main board and... Uh, when they asked me to take over Rangers. And with that... But I should say, Rangers was never my job. I was never paid by Rangers. And that, my five-day five, five day week was taken up running the building companies and Tigers yeah. weekends. I, I ran Rangers. But I never took a penny out of Rangers. And were you still, um, for that five years, involved with the other businesses as much? I ran them. Incredible. I was the chief executive. I didn't realise that. So chief executive of the building side, Tigers, the whole thing. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. So you, you're with the business for 16 years. You've obviously built up quite a serious reputation um, within that company or 
what was to happen later on would never have happened. But can you remember how the news to you, you know, you were to go and get involved with Rangers? How was that put to you and what did that feel like? Well, it was, uh, what happened was uh, in 83, Rangers, uh, they had finished the stadium in 81 and there was a lot of criticism uh, levelled at uh, Lawrence Marlborough. You know, why did they spend as much money on the stadium? Why did they build offices in the stadium? And Lawrence had got fed up with it. Not fed up. It was, it was a great blue nose. But he was really uh, exasperated by what was going on. Because as he built up the stadium, what was happening in the park was going down the way. And he couldn't understand why they had built 42,000 all covered seats and they were only selling average in 13, 13 and a half thousand. And he was really upset about all that. And I think he'd had enough of living in the fishbowl of Glasgow and he wanted to get his family out of that and himself. And so in 83, he said, right, uh, we've gone to America and everything was in place. He had, he had a new company set up in America and we had sorted out the communications that were going to take place between America and Glasgow so that he could run it from there. Um, the only thing that was annoying him was um, Rangers. And I said, well, if, uh, if, if you don't want to take any baggage, sell your shares. And he said, no, I'm not going to sell the shares until uh, Rangers are back at the top. So in 83, we kind of mapped out a five-year plan. And his idea was that we would try and get the, his shareholding over 50%. And if he got it over 50%, then we would have to make a an offer for every everyone else's shares. So it, it, we did all that. And what we decided was that he would go to Jack Gillespie because he, he was a director and he had 21, 22% of the shares. And if we could make a deal with him, then uh, he would yeah. get his 50%. So it started like that and it went all through 83. Uh, him talking to Jack Gillespie and, and, you know, getting everything sorted out that there was a, a deal there. When it came to the beginning of 84, the deal for the shares with Jack Gillespie, it was almost finished. But he was leaving in April 84 to go to America. So he said to me then, look, can you finish the deal with Jack Gillespie and then get all the legals tied up? So I took that on and I did that and we got in um, corporate lawyer Ian Dixon and he did all the, the legals and the middle of 84, we had the Jack Gillespie thing sorted out. Uh, but it wasn't finished then, we had to go back to buy all the rest of the shares and by the end of November, we had... 66% of the shares, and there's still 2,000 shareholders. 
And Lawrence came back in his, one of his brief spells, he was allowed back in the country to make the announcement, which he did do. And a couple of days before he was going back, he, um, he said, look, you and I are going to go for lunch today. So I said, oh, fair enough. So I went for lunch at the Edmondson house, and during the lunch he said, well, I didn't sell the shares. I got what I wanted. And he said, the other thing you said to me was, you need to put somebody in that's going to run it and clear it out. And he said, so I've had to think about that. He said, uh, I would like you to do that. And I says, oh, gosh, no. That's, I, I think, no. I said, look, Lawrence, I give you five days a week. And I'm first in, last out. I said, I've got a wife and a daughter. And the weekends is my time with them. And he said, well, I still want you to do it. So I went home that night and I talked to Betty and, and Lynn. We agreed we'd take it on as a family. So we're all together. So I went back and I said that to him and he said, okay. So in December, the beginning of December, I was up invited onto the board of Rangers. And I went on to the board of Rangers and for a part of October and the whole of November, Betty and I had his tickets for the box. So we went to all the home games just to give us a feel of a kind of what we were buying and what I found out. And I said that to him in December. I said, well, we've bought a liability. We didn't buy an asset. And he said, well, that's why you're there. And I said, no, good. So I then realized Maybe I've went too far taking the job. But anyway, we got to the end of the year. And at the end of the year, we had a bad Christmas on the park and a bad New Year. No wins. And early January, we were on the phone. He used to phone me when he got up in the morning and I was ready to go home at night. And we were talking and he said, uh, well, how's things going? I said, well... We've got three and a half years left of the <clears throat> five-year plan. And I said, let me tell you something right now, Lawrence. They're treating me like a, I'm a, a leper. And I says, I, I come up with ideas. No, no, you can't do that. You're not, you're not a football man. You don't understand the game. And you can't run a business like you do in, in other businesses. And then, of course... And you're not even a Rangers man, you know. So all these things were, uh, you get hurt times, you know. You've got to be a big boy in business. So he says, well, what do you want to do? I says, well, Lawrence, I'll tell you one thing. If you want it done, it's got to be me. It's got to be one voice. It's got to be my voice. And you've got to give me control of the shares, so that if somebody doesn't want to do something, then I can outvote them. And he said, well, if that's what you want, I said, that's what we agreed, and that's what I want. And he said, okay, we've got a board meeting coming up in Paris in February. When we come to discuss Rangers, I'll give you the floor. He did that. 
the left at meeting as chief chief executive of Rangers and the voting rates for 66%. And I came back and two days later, I cleared the board out. Then Betty and I went down to the Channel Islands to meet, to meet Lawrence again. And I showed him my business plan. And he said, okay, well, let's have a look at it. And it was quite a simple business plan. I'd worked out how much money I thought we needed to, because my idea was that you can't go and tell the fans again, right, we'll get you the top in three years' time. I said, that doesn't work. You can't do that. We're going to have to spend our money and put something on the park that they can see is going to happen. And he says, okay, let me see the business plan. I said, well, it's simple. I said, we've got to win the league in the first year. We'll have to win a cup. We've got to play two rounds in Europe. And by this time, we were sixth in the league and we hadn't even qualified for Europe. And I said, we've got to get 40,000 seats filled. He says, well, it's a bit ambitious, David. <laughs> and he says, and, uh, are you going to sell that to the bank? I says, well, I don't want any money off John Lawrence Glasgow. No. I says, I want Rangers to be standalone. He said, you'll take He says, how are you going to? I said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring in a new manager. I'm going to bring in a world-class player. And I'm going to put him on the park. And Rangers have never had a world-class player. And he said, well, that sounds good. He said, but where are you going to get these two people? I says, no, it's one person. He says, I said, it's Graham Souness. And he says, well, do you know Graham? And I said, no, I've never spoken to him. I said, but he's, got, he's everything I want. And I said, but if I can put him on the park, we'll spark of a revolution that they've never seen before. And he said, well, fair enough. So I came home and when we got in, I phoned, uh, I, had his, I had Graham's number. And I phoned up, and it was his wife that spoke to him. She said, Graham's not in, but when he comes in, I'll get him to give you a ring. So about an hour later, the, the phone rang, and it was Graham. And, and I asked him, he said, who are you and things? And I, so I explained. And he said, uh, and how can I what, what, how can I help us uh, all about? I said, well, I want to offer you a better job than your pal just got three or four months ago. He says, what pal? I says, Kenny Douglas. He says, um, he said, I said, well, he was made player manager of Liverpool. I'm going to offer you a bigger job. And he said, a bigger job than Liverpool? And I says, well, I, because the job I'm going to offer you is Rangers, a player manager. And I says, we'll be in Europe next year. And then there was a pregnant pause, and then I thought, Christ, I've gone too far here, and he's gone, he's hung up. But he, he came back and uh, he said, no, no, I, he said, I've never thought about it. He said, I, I'm having a great time in Italy. He said, it's easier across here, and I'm a bigger star across here. And I said, well, that's, he said, well, I'll be in London 
next week. I'm writing a book and I'll be out next week. So we met in London and uh, I just put it to him and we shook hands and it was as easy as that. I had Graham. So where did the inspiration come to go and get this man that you'd never met, you'd no relationship for? Was, was it, you did mention that Kenny Douglas had been made the player manager of Liverpool at the time. Was, was that what caused the spark that ignited? Where did the idea come from? I just... I was a Graham Susan's fan because I thought, pound for pound, he was one of the best players I ever saw. Uh, if people wanted to mix it, he mixed it. If they wanted to play football, they play football. But he was a born winner. He had everything that I wanted, plus the fact I could see him in my mind's eye with a Rangers strip on out in the middle of Ibrox. And as not being a blue nose, it turned the hairs on my neck up and I thought, what's it going to do <laughs> for them? Well, I can tell you what it done for me as a 12, 13 year old. The biggest, the biggest day was the day I opened the boardroom door and introduced them as a new player manager. And if that didn't arise, and I said that to Lawrence, if that does not give us a big kickstart to what we want to do, then we're wasting our time. Anyway, by the time the season started, we had Sinus, Smith, Butcher, Woods, West, Nickel, and we had 30, over 30,000 season tickets sold. And I knew we were on the winner then. No, it was incredible times. And um, I don't think it just revolutionised Rangers. It kick-started the whole Scottish football because it wasn't you know that far behind. They thought, well, we need to compete against this. And they, mm. they, they sort of changed their... And for the next 10 years, probably, maybe five to 10 years, the other clubs started going, well, Hold on, the formula is sign a superstar, all team around them. Mm. And your Dundee started signing people, and Hearts start, and they all seemed to start buying superstars after they that. They couldn't get a Graham Sinus. No, you trumped them there, Mr. Holmes. They certainly gave them somewhere they couldn't achieve. But you've got to look at the end of the season. By the time we got to the end of the season, we had won the league, we had won a cup, we had played two rounds in Europe, and there was 40,000 people watching Rangers playing yeah. and were excited by watching Rangers playing. Yeah. It was incredible times and obviously as soon as we first we got him in and then signing started and Colin West was the first one from memory. And then West, Woods. And then Butcher, that was the order. Mm -hmm. But we signed the England captain mm -hmm. who was just finished playing in the World Cup at the time. I think, did we sign Butcher before that World Cup? Was it I just remember him when he came back. That was his first season for we us. Signed him, we signed him when he came back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that, you know, that was unheard of. For generations, the talent was going the opposite direction. But you decided, well, who's the biggest star, biggest Scottish star kicking a ball? And you, you're right, that was soonest at the time, hands down. The revolution would never, those two things made the revolution happen. And Graham was the spark. Yeah. Graham was the one that started it. He, if we hadn't got him, we wouldn't have got Butcher and Woods and 
It would never happen. But when you take it one stage further, if he hadn't brought the 40,000 back, we wouldn't have had the money to run the club. So the revolution was all about two men that started the revolution, Willie Wardle and Lawrence Marlborough. They built the new stadium. The Holmes family came in and made the big changes. Soonest came in and got the crowd back. And the crowd came back. That's the revolution. No, it certainly it was uh, exciting times. And as I say, the knock-on of Scottish football. I, I, I think, especially people who are a bit younger than me, that weren't, didn't live that mm -hmm. situation, they don't actually understand how revolutionary it was. They don't understand coming fifth in the league the year before and scraping to, into Europe. They don't understand sitting in November League Cup games with 6,000 crowds. They don't understand these things. And in 1980, I remember the governing stand wasn't here. It was rubble. The, the, the uh, railway line was at the back and halfway through a midweek game and because I was so young, my memory can't remember who it was we played. But there was more appeared watching the game free of charge on that mound than there was that had paid into the stands that were there. Absolutely. To turn into that, to that St Murren game, after we won the league, to just nobody, there was no spare tickets. Normally you walk along Edmondson Drive, come out the, or come out the subway station, there's guys standing there with a wee handful of tickets. The opposite. There was people holding twenty pound and ten pound and five pound notes at the time, wanting tickets, and to go in the space of eighteen months from mm -hmm. nobody there to that scenario was absolutely incredible. Um, and I think to have the foresight to say, "We'll just sign soon," it's, it, it's just one of those eureka moments that changed the whole landscape of my football club. And I, I believe Scottish football. Do, mm -hmm. do you understand the the, the knock-on? Do you appreciate the knock-on effect you had to the rest of Scottish football thereafter? I think you're underestimating it. I think what Rangers did changed the whole face of British football and European football because nobody ever believed that a country with five million people could compete with the big boys, and we could. Yeah, no, that, that is actually a very fair comment when you consider it, and a small nation. And uh, it wasn't, a, I, I remember again one of the early soonest games, we were, we're playing Stowe Bucharest, and we're playing Dynamo Kiev's, and we're playing all these, uh, Moscow, uh, Kiev. I was dogging the school to go and watch the beanbacks at Ibrox, I remember, and um, who would have believed two or three seasons before these things were possible? And you know we, we, but for a wee bit of misfortune, we, we I think we did well in Europe, but small, you know, things could have made it even even more um, victorious by the time the Champions League era had came in. Mm -hmm. And if the groundwork hadn't been done, eighty five, eighty six, ninety two, ninety three wouldn't have happened, because we would have still have been that club that was the great underachiever. Look at what we used to be. Yeah. Um. And I, I've got a lot of empathy. <laughs> for the younger generation just now who like me i was born eight, uh, 73 but can't really remember the 78 teams because i was so young so i had that big gap up until 86 we've seen a title no titles 
And I've got a lot of empathy for the young generation who don't have the memories of the Champions League nights that I have, the nine in a row that I have, the Soonesses that I have, the Butchers, um, the Woods and the Gazes and the Loudrops that followed. Um, and their memories that starting when they were 12 and 13 would have been us going into Adman. Um, and, I, and I think there's certain similarities today, you know, with the great run in Europe we had to, to uh, Seville um, and things like that, that they, they can do reliving. But I don't yeah. think anything will ever touch, maybe it's just me and sentimental value, but I don't think that 86, 87 season can be surpassed, even by the 55, which was a great significant thing for Rangers because it, it was a return to the, the titles. But I just think that that 86, 87 season was just a phenomenal time in the history of Rangers and then changed Scottish football. Scottish football didn't change when we done 55. Scottish football was still where it was. Mm -hmm. It changed Rangers a lot when yeah. in the 55. Mm -hmm. But I think the 86, 87 title had a knock-on effect. It was it was, um, it was longer. So going back to that season, uh, 86, 87, what was that like to be in the middle of? What was your, your memories and your emotions that you went through in that during that season? Well, I just uh, <clears throat> got a lot of money from the bank and we just spent it and we went to Hibs and after 20 odd minutes, Graham's coming walking towards me and I'm saying to myself, what the hell have I done here? <laughs> that was a good thought. Yeah, it was a good thought. But see, the thing is, it was a great thing for us because we learned a lot in the first game. I learned a lot, anyway. <clears throat> Graham's out there, and he was getting treated pretty badly. They were all having a cack at him. But when he did get sent off, there was 10 of our players were all around about him. And right there and then, he had the respect of the whole bloody team, and he had brought them together. And that was only after weeks of being with them. No, but I that never changed. Yeah, I think uh, uh, Derek Ferguson on uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he spoke about that very game, and he said he was on the bench when it happened. And he said... Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How he felt about it was, and I think Sunis might have alluded to this after the game, nobody will bully us again. And it's uh, set the, the tone for the for the team at that point. Probably for the fan base as well. It was, you know, we, we could beat that game, but it, you know, it, it set a standard. It was like putting a flag down the ground and saying, "This is what we're doing." Well, what happened after the game was um, 
I said to Graham, I, when he took over, I said, look, you're in charge of all football. I will not interfere. You tell me what you need, I'll get you. But I run the club and it will be run to my standards, nothing else. And after the game, I said to Graham, um, look, I made a promise to you, I wouldn't interfere, but Monday morning, before you go to training, I want you to assemble all the players in the dressing room and I would like to have a word. And he said, that's fair enough. So what happened was, on the Monday morning, I went round, he gave me a ring and he said, they're all here. So I went round, I was in Brimlone, the offices in Brimlone Road at that time. And uh, I went round and I said that to him, that uh, they disgraced the club. Because Rangers uh, were something really special, one of the big institutional giants in football. And he, there was a bit of humming and I said, no, no, listen lads. This club has got standards. You will abide by the standards. You're going to get all this rubbish thrown at you every week. What a load of money, what a load of rubbish. They're going to shout and they're going to do what they did to Graham. I said, but you've got to be above that and that must never happen again. I said, so in a morning when you come in here for training, you wear a collar and tie, you'll be smartly dressed. And I'll make sure that you've got smart dress for the games. Mm -hmm. But you'll never do that again. You'll never embarrass me or Rangers again. I says, remember one thing. If you've got a ship and it's going down, the last man to leave is the captain. I said, well, I'm the captain of this ship. And I'll still be here, but you might not be here. So that's the rules and that's how it'll be. I never went back in again after that. But um, the respect that I got from the players, I've got to tell you, and not just the respect. It was something else. There was a, a bond that would, I mean, you read it in the book. I mean, some of the things that Butcher and the people said about my time there, will never be repeated anywhere again. So that was a special thing. No, it, certainly, it certainly was. And you're a businessman through and through. You had the, 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 the original board saying, oh, you're not a football guy. And maybe that's part of the problem. Um, I think, you know, having a mixture isn't hard, isn't um, I think I, I think actually, sorry, I think actually what happened was it helped that I wasn't a football man. I wasn't a ranger man. I went in there to sort out Rangers, not be a fan. That was the problem. Yeah. The people that were doing it were fans. Yeah, yeah your, your heart and your, your, your head are working out a conjunction, whereas if you're getting in there with the business, you, you, I mean, you are able to identify that the business model was not working. It was nowhere near normal. Um, and being able to make decisions based on business isn't a bad thing. Whereas if you had the emotional tie-in with the club before you got there, these decisions possibly 
could have been tougher to make. But when you got in there, just purely from a business point of view, and looking at it, I mean, I, I find it incredible that you were basically the CEO of a large motor trade company and a builder of massive size and Rangers. Mm-hmm. At one time, I hadn't um, considered that before. Two massive jobs in their, their own and then getting a third one. And so having that business um, acumen and, and um, understanding, how bad was it when you, you were in, in day one? Uh, I don't. I, I don't want to be critical. Yeah, yeah. These people had spent a lot of money getting shares to sit on the board, yeah. and so uh, they had the right to run it the way they wanted yeah. to run it. Sure. The way I saw it was, you cannot run a business without having certain goals, certain budgets, certain limits to where you spend, how you spend. You can't just take it by chance. I mean, the the big thing about Rangers one, and I, see, the thing was, when I was sitting watching Rangers, even as a director, I was looking at it as a supporter of football. You went to see it. Same as when I was at Falkirk. And... When I was at Falkirk, I used to criticise, how did they get that player and what's the manager doing about that and when are they going to build something else? Or, you know, so that's the way I was looking at it. No, no, it was, it was all to do with the business, not just to do with Rangers winning or losing. It was the whole thing. And that's what was wrong. Yeah. And I think, obviously, you've explained how the soonest thing came about and that was just you having the gumption to phone him and ask him. And then you've met him in London, and it sounds over that you agreed that he was going to do it quite quickly. And um, it's just amazing how that it's such a simple thing. I'll just phone him and ask him. <laughs> you know, there's nothing complex about that. Well, all he could say was no. Correct. The worst thing in the world. The first thing I learned when I was a salesman, and I get fed up. Yeah. They take it quite bad. People say no, and I realised, well, if your conversion rate's one in three, you need two no's. So mm. go out and get a no. So you eventually a yes. And so. Then, obviously, as soon as comes, and we signed some players, but I think the keynote signing was Butcher. England captain, World Cup, Argentina, all that stuff. Did, did Graham identify that, and how did that conversation evolve, and, and how did we eventually get to sign him? Well, what happened was we had signed Woods and West, and Graham and Walter were going away to Mexico. So, yeah. so they went to Mexico and uh, I was left and what I did in that time was I concentrated on building a new uh, restaurant for the hospitality ah, yeah. right. and, I, and getting the park ready. I wanted the park to be pristine. I wanted everything, everything cleaned up. So I spent the time doing that. And when they came back, Graham and I got into the business of, you know, we had to root out the players that weren't going to be getting uh, staying on at the club and the ones that were. And I wanted to have a new, whole new wage structure so that uh, there wasn't just a, a cap and everybody got the same. They got what they were worth. And I've got a manager who
who knew what players were worth. So at that time, I realised what I'd got. And they call it the director of football now. But we didn't. But Graham was the director of football because he knew what the transfer market was. He knew what the main, the main players were getting. So I never got involved with buying the players. He said what he wanted. I got the money. And we did it. And he had a budget to spend. And that's, that's how we went about it. But when they came back from Mexico, he said, look, I've talked to, to Terry Butcher. And uh, Tottenham and uh, Man United are interested in him. He said, but I think we can get him. He said, I think I've, I've got him if we can get the money. And I said, well, what do you want? And he told me. And I said, okay. And we, were, we agreed on a wage structure he would offer him. So I went away on holiday for a fortnight. And <clears throat> the second Sunday before I was due to come back home again, uh, it was a place that we had in Spain, but nobody knew where we were. But the doorbell went on the Sunday morning. I thought, God, this? So I went to the door and it was Graham that was standing there. He had his shorts on and T-shirt. And I says, what the hell do you want to do here? <laughs> and, of course, Betty, my wife, was, she was at the bank. She said, let's come in. <laughs> so he, he came in and he didn't speak. He just took off his T-shirt and he ran past us and went into the pool. And I'm thinking, oh, that's fine. He came across for a swim. Anyway, we came back out and we're having a chat. And he said, uh, I think I can get Butcher. I said, well, we've agreed all that. He said, no problem. He said, I need just a bit more money. I said, Graham, I've always played it straight with you. And you got your money, you spent your money. He said, I'll tell you what. If you give me the extra cash and I get Butcher, we'll win the league. I said, you've got the money, Graham. I said, because my head's on the block. <laughs> now yours is the same place. <laughs> so when I, I, I came home, he waited till I came home on the Friday and we introduced Butcher. And I tell you, the biggest sign we ever got was Graham Suris, because uh, I've got to say that uh, to see Graham Suris on the park playing for Rangers, uh, I think that was that was the masterstroke. But to sign a player that was going to become captain, uh, we couldn't have got him better than Terry Butcher. He was the top man. Very fond memories of him, and I was a button footballer myself at that time, a kid, and I played centre half, mm -hmm. and he just became an absolute legend in, in my eyes. The sort of bravery, he could pass a ball, could play football. Um, 60, 60 yard passes, and out of defence into attack. Yeah, and came up, and we'll talk about it soon. But he could score the odd goal as well. Why well, did? <laughs> but uh, no, it was a great, great signing, and again, he's a person. Um, but again, because of my age, when when you think of Terry Butcher, I have two visuals. I'm a visual thinker. Him with the bandage on, 
for him with the with the, with the trophy. Mm-hmm. That's it. But then you get other people who might be a bit younger than me and don't didn't have that influence in the eighties. I influenced by him in the eighties. You go ah, and then he went to Inverness and he said this about Rangers and he did. And you go, it's Teddy Butcher you're talking about, and it, it was special. And I I bumped into him once um, about five years ago, and I'd done something I don't do that often. I asked him for a selfie, and that was because of that. And I came home and I threw it out of social media. Never said anything. Just put that photograph on my, my timeline. And you want to see some of the nonsense people working away me? Mm. How could you stand me handbagging there? Going live through eighty-six, and, and and he broke his leg. his following year, mm. and I think if he hadn't broke his leg that year, I think we would have won nine in a row two seasons earlier. No. No, if he hadn't broken his leg, it would have been 11 in a row. No, that's aye, aye, it would have been two years ahead. And if he hadn't broken his leg that year, I think Rangers would have gone. Yeah. I think we could have gone and won Europe. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's such an influence on the, oh. the team and the fans and the stands. And um, you'd certainly prefer him on your side than not on your side. Yeah. And I, I thought we were signing a good player when we got him, but I didn't realise how good a player. We, we, we had them and then when we lost them also but Graham knew mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that was his talent only Graham could have got him yeah but when you say we were, we were pitching myself in against you said it was Manchester United and, and um, Spurs at the time and, and Rangers at that time if we're perfectly honest what did we sell them a dream because what could we say oh, last year we scraped in as fifth in the league we've got crowds of 14 to 16,000 we're selling my dream Whereas Man United are saying, here's their stadium, 50,000, 60,000, whatever they were doing at the time. Spurs are doing this. So it became even a bigger capture and a bigger. And who sold them? Did, were you involved in that or did Graham just look after the signings? How did that um, um, relationship happen with the you know the actual going and getting the players? Did he just come to you? That's what I want. There's the money and the way to do the business. We talked about it yeah. and we sorted it all out before we went and negotiated. But you see, I think that's the point I was making. <clears throat> Graham knew what a player was worth. And he knew how much it would need to his salary. Yeah. And, and it took a lot of pressure off. I mean, what does a team? We're a great team. There was a great team we had there. Yeah. Campbell Ogilvy, yeah. Graham, Walter, and this man sitting here. Because at that time, when I went there to, to Rangers, I had the Rangers news. But the only time the Rangers news got any information was they got it off the daily record or whatever. And I, I said, no, 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 no. So I got Stephen in and I said, as from now, yeah. you go and see Graham mm-hmm. and anything we're going to break, you break it first and the papers get it from the Rangers news. Yeah. And I think that's... Absolutely. Exactly how it worked. Well, you can say your people. Yeah, just to, to, just to cover that, um, Stephen's uh, the author of, of the, the new book. Mm-hmm. We're going to touch on that. Basically, what I was going to do is just grab a little uh, sort of bit of the history of Mr. Holmes and introduce the book. Fine, yeah, fine. But we're there. Okay. We are there. Um, book that I've just been given, and, and something I'm going to share and indulge you. Uh, something <laughs> tremendously happy today. Mr. Holmes has signed it to Craig, and I'll start with you. It makes me. People are screaming, I can't, that's great. Uh, I'm really looking forward to reading the book. It was launched uh, just during the week there. Stephen Halliday wrote it. 
And I deliberately didn't read any of the newspaper articles or anything or try and get a wee sneak at the book before the interview because I just I didn't want to do this interview before I was aware there was a book coming out. But Stephen um, has written a book which um, has just been launched. And what was that process like for you, Stephen? How did that come about? Well, just to give you a bit of background, I was my first job in journalism was at the Rangers News. I started there in '82, um, and the level of access, I wouldn't say it was unhelpful, but it was dysfunctional. It wasn't the clubs, there was no sense of proper PR at that time. It was all very haphazard, probably in, in keeping with what you were seeing as a fan on, on the pitch. When Mr. Holmes came in, it changed completely. Um, he, got, he got us on board from day one. Um, I mean, the Rangers News was contracted out at that point. I didn't actually work for Rangers. It's a company called Peebles Publications that did a lot of you know, football publications. Um, but all, almost immediately, um, I, was, I think it was the day that Mr. Holmes was appointed as director, I got called down to Broomwarm House. Uh, you've got to remember, I'm about 21 at this point. Um, you know, relative, a rookie, a rookie journalist. Um, but he got me in told me that I would be kept in the loop. He wanted the Rangers news used properly, which it wasn't being at that time. You know, it wasn't the first point of contact for any information the club were trying to put out. Changed immediately. Um, and then obviously when Graham and Walter came in, I had contact with them, all the players, any access I needed. Um, and the Rangers news, like, like the club did on the pitch, went from strength to strength. Sales went through the roof. Um, and it was just an incredible time to to be a first-hand witness to, to this revolution that the book deals with. I bet it was. I've been fortunate to have a couple of journalists on the, the, the podcast, um, and the first one to come on was, was Gary Ralston. And straight as the, the chats with Gary, it, it became apparent the amount of people that ended up journalists where the start was uh, the Rangers news, it's probably quite an, an unusual proportion of them went on to have successful careers as journalists. Journalists, and it became, I don't know if it was pre-your time, um, maybe you could tell me that but it's, it became a good springboard for people and a good introduction into journalism did you find it that way when you when you were there originally or did is that what it became once mr holmes had arrived it'd been like that for a while because the guy that as i say it was a guy called ian peebles who's was actually a founder member of the football writers association back in the 50s it was a, a really really top football writer um and he was he was friends with willie waddle um well, has been a brilliant manager. Willie Waddle was actually a very good journalist. After leaving Kilmarnock, he went into newspapers. And it wasn't just columns getting ghosted. He was an actual writer. He was a trained sub-editor. Uh, so he was a proper journalist. And him and Ian Peebles were good friends. And so it was between them they decided the Rangers News should be formed, which was in 71. It's actually the season that Rangers <coughs> won the Cup and Cup by, by good fortune. That was the first season of the Rangers News. So, yeah, a lot of the guys that then worked for Peel's publications on the Rangers News and other publications did go on. I mean, I think guys like Graham Clark, you may have heard of, Brian Scott, I think even Chick Young, Chick worked for a Scottish football magazine that Peel's did. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a common thing that people would go, you know, from there. It was a great launching pad, and it was right after me, Gary, and well, you talked about lots of others that are, you know, in, in the media now. I didn't appreciate that it wasn't a Rangers-owned publication to start with. I take it it became that. I mean, certainly. Yeah, well, yeah. ironically, the the club took it in-house um, in 89. So it was funny, David and myself, you know, there's, a, there's a few similarities there. Neither of us were ever actually employed by Rangers, and we both left at the same time. So, <laughs> yeah. Aye, aye, bizarre how the world spins. Yeah. So you, you had, obviously, a connection then 
with Mr. Holmes and how did that lead to the, 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 the book idea? When did that uh, idea come into your head and, and how did that whole thing come about? Well, I can't take any credit for coming to my head. It was about two years ago, just over two years ago. Um, it was Lynn, Lynn's daughter who got in touch with me um, to say that he was thinking it was in the time might be right. He was thinking that the time might be right to, to write a book and uh, we met in St Andrews one day up to see him and we hadn't seen each other for a long time but I think we hit off again pretty quickly spoke about what the book might be like um, and it seemed like a pretty good idea uh, straight away and, and uh, again excuse my ignorance because I deliberately not looked into the book um, before now but as a as a guy who had a lot of knowledge about Mr Holmes we'd have known a lot of the, um, the information you were about to put onto paper was there a few surprises in there for you? Yeah, there's a lot of surprises. I think there's a lot of stuff I didn't know, uh, even though I was there at the time. Um, yeah, a lot of revelatory stuff. Uh, fascinating, absolutely fascinating. I mean, I'm biased because I've written it, but uh, I think any Rangers fan will enjoy it. And we've got, you know, we've got contributions from a lot of the, the key guys in it as well. Graham Sooner spoke to me, Terry Butcher, Jimmy Nicol, Gamble Ogilvy. Um, so, yeah, it's a pretty, you know, widespread narrative of the whole period. Um, and two, two questions just uh, about the book, out of the sort of surprises, what was the biggest one? And what part of the book do you think is the, the biggest highlight for Mr Holmes as a person you found out in your writing of the book? Like possibly the biggest surprise for me was just how much resistance there was uh, to Mr Holmes when he went on the board. I wasn't totally aware of that at the time. Um, I mean, I think I think it was a board that was pretty much set in its ways, um, and the amount of resistance he had to come over, I wasn't aware of that, and he goes into that in some detail. So I found that fascinating. Um, in terms of the highlight, I think I think Mr. Holmes probably can cut. I think that moment that day, and his the book it was his birthday that day, which I didn't hadn't realised till I wrote the book. Uh, he opened that door and said, "This is a new player manager, Rangers Football Club, Graham Soonis." So. It's not a bad birthday. We all got a good birthday present that day, Mr. Holmes. Thank you. The actual, um, these are the sort of things that is interesting. And I, a lot of the guests we have on, people know them, but it's what's behind that person. And, you know, finding out about your business background and how determined you were and the things and the ladder. That's the stuff that I like to get to get, to get out. So behind it, the actual book, what's the process you go through to getting that onto um hardback copy i mean how do you how do you write it how do you get the stories and and how's how does the whole process work basically just sitting down with mr holmes which we did several times um oh, i don't know how many meetings we had a lot a lot of tea and biscuits uh, uh just getting it all down recording it um and mr holmes is very good he would have his own thoughts and he became quite technically proficient actually he would uh, record stuff get it onto uh uh, would you call them huge sticks, you know, yeah, for, yeah. for the computer, and they would they would post them down to me. Um, so a lot of telephone conversations, and I say speaking to speaking to other people as well that, that I mentioned that are in the book. So would it be pre-planned? Would you sort of say, right, Mr. Holmes, this next session we're going to discuss that day to that day or that time or that thing, or do you just go off the cuff and and, and see where it see where it goes? It was a combination of both. I mean, I I did timelines of the the seasons that it was there and. Uh, but there was a lot of off-the-cuff stuff as well, anything that he thought was relevant. Um, 
or if I spoke to the other, the other people involved, that would maybe spark something else that would go back to, to Mr. Careful. Holmes about. And who the, the names um, you said soonest, who, who else has contributed to it? Uh, so, there's, so there's Graham, Terry Butcher, Jimmy Nicholl, um, Campbell, as I say, uh, Alan Ferguson, who's the PR guy at the time, who was involved in a lot um, uh, of the, the Lawrence takeover. Uh, and there's also interesting, there was more to Mr. Holmes' football career than just Rangers, because afterwards he obviously became chairman of Falkirk and worked at Dundee. So Simon Stainrod and Jim Jeffries both spoke to me and they're very fascinating contributions as well. Yeah, there are a few names in there. And did you meet Sunis or was that, did you speak to him electronically or how did that come about? Yeah, I did, did meet Graham. I uh, met him in Glasgow. He uh, was up for the Rangers Liverpool game. So I'll say too much about that. So I think, I, I hope, I think his interview for the book was possibly the highlight of his day that day. <laughs> uh, and did you, had you um, had the privilege of him previously, or was that a new one to you? No, no, I've just the manager. Yeah, if, if you wasn't for Mr. Holmes, and you know, you're at the Rangers News, you might know if it Yeah, yeah, well, the used, contact used to have regular uh, Sunday morning phone calls with Graham, but one of the first ones was a fairly terrifying one because it was obviously the day after he got sent off right. Easter Road. Um, so as a young journalist, having to, to phone him that day was pretty nerve wracking, but he was he was brilliant, he was uh, he was always very helpful and spoke brilliantly, as you as you know from. His time's a pundit. He's, he's great. Yeah, he's good. He's good. Certainly good value. Um, did you enjoy the, the, the actual process of writing the, the book, Mr. Holmes? I'm just going to say uh, <clears throat> that's my story. Yeah. But that's been put down so professionally. Um, Stephen didn't he just copy my story, he made it a story. Yeah. And the the way he's gone through the book, he's made it simple and interesting for anyone that's going to read it. I mean, when you start it, the big thing I think about books is you want to turn the next page. Yeah. It was brilliant, brilliantly written. No, I, I'm not a massive reader of books. I'm, you won't be this time. No, no. But I've got. <laughs> I'll probably. Have, I'll probably have it finished before I finish my dinner tonight, Mister Holmes. But I do love non-fiction, and I have got a particular um, uh, passion for autobiographies. Yeah. Um, and that can be business people, sports people, people connected with Rangers, and and maybe that's why we ended up doing this podcast. Maybe it's because I, I enjoy finding you know what's behind the headline, what's behind that guy in front of the TV. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. And what I find you saying, giving you turning the next page, I'd play tricks through my mind. I look at my watch, go, God, it's half past one. I tell you what, I'll finish this chapter. And then if it's a well written one, you get to the end of that chapter and there's something taking you into the next chapter. And before you know it, it's half past two and I end up playing those mind tricks again. And I'm yeah. quite sure this is going to be uh, similar. You see, what I, what I like about this, the way Stephen's written is. He hasn't taken it and sometimes in the order that it happened, yeah. he, he breaks the story and he got Graham Soonish to give him an interview. <clears throat> but he didn't put it as an interview. He, he put it in bits where it actually fitted into the story. Relative. That's what makes it a really good read. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I'm, I'm trying to think what I'm meant to be doing tomorrow. 
But I better start replanning it already because I've got a funny feeling I'm going to have a long night ahead of me <laughs> finishing it. And I can't, I can't wait. 